Good afternoon. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation. This is a podcast of the Del Norte County Unified School District and Del Norte County Office of Education. My name is Jeff Harris, and I am the County and District Superintendent of Schools. On today's podcast, we have uh, a few special guests. We usually hear a lot from our inside folks, um, but we want to talk with some really valuable community partners and one inside folk. Um, so joining us today, we have Nick Rail. Hi, Nick. Good afternoon. And Christy Lynn Rust. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And last but definitely not least, Daniel Sedgwick. Hi, everybody. Hey, so if if everybody doesn't mind, let's just kind of go around, introduce yourselves a little bit for folks that this may be the first time that they've um, met you, uh, we'll say virtually, and tell them how you're connected to music in Del Norte County Schools. In 1959... Uh, when I was attending Redwood Union Elementary School, as it was called then, they introduced band. They didn't have it before then. And I took up the cornet and over time with Gene Petrick and going to college, majoring in music, I ended up in the music industry and 50 years later, back in Crescent City to give back to the community that gave me my start. Well, and that's great, Nick. I mean, the, and I'm just going to say the history there. Ni- would you say 1959? 1959. That was before we were a single district county. That didn't happen until 64. And then um, that that was its own little district out there at that point. On its own island, correct. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you started with Cornette. That's actually what I started with. I was never any good at it, but it's still in my garage at the house. <laughs> ah, well, we can make a good donation out of that, Jeff. <laughs> yes, I'm, sh- I'm sure we can. <laughs> and uh, Christy Lynn. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Um, well, uh, uh, Nick's band director here was Gene Petrick, and um, I actually, when he retired from the high school music, and uh, in, oh, goodness, 1978, I took over as the band and choir director until 2008. So I put 30 years in and then uh, I've been retired, uh, oh, gosh, for a few years now. And I, <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about the, the time element, but, uh, but I couldn't stand being without music after 2008. So I created the Pacific Music Guild and, and we have a... Uh, a very large um, uh, community choir. Um, at least that uh, we'll see what happens after COVID, yeah. but still very involved musically. Wonderful. Yeah. And what, what a wrinkle COVID is thrown out. Huh? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Dan? Yeah. So Dan Sedgwick, I'm the music teacher at Dunlop High School. And as Chrissy just mentioned, I took over for her in 2008 and have, uh, this is my 13th year uh, with the district and uh, yeah, teaching band and choir and now instrument repair. So Dan, I know that you've talked to me about this before and Chrissy, you having been that director, our program here at Del Norte High hasn't had that many band directors. It's, it's, it usually folks who come in there, it's a long tenure. How many band directors have there been in kind of recent memory? 60 some years. We've had three. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty sweet gig. You get to deal with some great kids with phenomenal talent. Loved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Dan, thinking about what music looks like, right? Because again, if we, if we kind of look at stretching back, because 
we now have, we still have music at Redwood, even though we have absorbed them, Nick, I'm just saying. Um, what, what does the music program look like kindergarten through 12th grade? So yeah, um, when I first got here, um, we didn't have K4 music at that time. It it had been there and then it got cut. And then, uh, gosh, I, I can't remember what year, uh, maybe four or five years into my teaching, we got it back uh, with another music teacher hire. So we do have K4 music um, and we've had it there pretty consistently. The only, um, uh, uh, the only caveat to that is this year with how um, uh, spread thin teachers and uh, traveling schedules and everything. And we've had to modify that slightly. So not everyone's getting that in-person touch uh, this year due to COVID. However, um, still highly sought after. And hopefully when we're back next year, that will actually resume. Um, but yeah, we're lucky. Most school districts do not have that K4 music element. And we've had it pretty, yeah, we've had it very consistently for a number of years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, at the middle schools, uh, we have uh, people at every middle school and then all the way up to the high school as well. And what... And at the high school, it really diversifies, right? Because when we start talking about, we start talking about rhythm and music and recorders and the intro to uh, instruments earlier on, once they hit ninth grade, it just explodes. Yeah, more ensemble choices for sure at the high school level. Uh, we have a jazz band that meets before schools, a steel band that meets after school, and then uh, both band and choir offered for ensemble choices. So, Christy, how's that changed since you were the director? Um... Not uh, super much. No, not not a whole lot. Um, um, it, we started the steel band in the early '90s right. as just as a, a thing to do in the evening. The booster <laughs> club paid the you know twenty five thousand dollars for the instruments, and it had became it became something just that was a a lot of fun with the kids. We also added a, a choir in the middle of all of that. So it's been pretty much the same. Yeah. The only difference is uh -huh. um, uh, we, we had a guitar class running for about three or four years. And then um, that, I mean, I can only do so many things. So instrument repair took that spot uh, for this school year. Okay. So, yeah. Well, and, and you brought up something kind of interesting there. You, you, you glossed over it. Not that I expected you to linger on it, uh, but um, you talked about the importance of boosters. Yes. So the boosters have really played a huge part in, Absolutely. in really developing and sustaining the music programs that we have, especially at the high school level. So um, what what kind of things do our boosters currently do? Um a lot of a lot of um, well, the one that's coming up closest is the Del Norte Scholarship Foundation. The Booster Club always gives to those students uh, for that event. Um, in a normal school year, a lot of travel scholarships, uh, a lot of instrument purchases, um, pretty much anything that is needed. Uh, a lot of time and energy goes into fundraising. Our biggest fundraiser is the fireworks booth, which I just filled out the seller's permit today for this summer. And I just heard from Chamber of Commerce today that everything is a go moving forward and. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that should be great. Hopefully it should be a little easier than last summer <laughs> and currently. Um, and then, yeah, and, and not only just, um, I know, financially and, and, and whatnot, buying things, but also parent support. It's a good active uh, parent support group for helping run concerts. Uh, always need uh, parent chaperones for honor choir this, uh, honor band that. Right. So, um, you know, both of those. Well, and, and, oh, go ahead. I'm I was going to say, and it's a real buy-in for the program. It gets the parents 
actively involved in the program musically. Um, they're there driving kids, their their uniforms. The it goes on and on and on. Yeah. So it's great to have parents involved. Right. Well, but there's only so much par- parents can do. Right. I mean, they're 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 parents. Um, most of them, many of them are, are also working outside the home or they're dealing with their own family and things mm-hmm. that need to happen. They're putting on fundraisers, but we're a small community. And I think, Nick, that's where you've really injected a huge shot in the arm to the program and really validated a lot of what our parents have done, of what our directors present and past have done. Um just in the last couple of years, the donations of instruments, the repair um, equipment for the repair shop that Dan mentioned a few minutes ago, kind of trying to get into that CTE pathway and let kids know that there are other paths to um, employment beyond just maybe playing an instrument. And then, um, you know, we worked to get lights into Crescent Elk and we've started refurbishing that building, which is still going on. Um, And then... I'll use the term seed money, but I think it's a lot broader than seed money as we talk about a visual and performing arts center. So why does that, why is that important to you, Nick? I mean, why, when, when you think about the already tens of thousands in excess of a hundred thousand dollars that you and your wife have so generously donated to the students of our County. And then we look at that performing arts center. A big question is just why? My wife and I have no kids, and the experience at Redwood going on to Delnord High, a big frog in a small pond, go off to college, realize I'm a tadpole in an ocean. <laughs> uh, while I wanted to follow in the, in the footsteps of Gene Petrick, I realized I could get the degree, the job, and teach, but by the time I could teach at the level of a Gene Petrick or a Christy Lynn Rust or Dan Sedgwick, I'd be about 112. I said, that's not going to work. <laughs> I can't do that to the kids. So I wanted to stay under the greater umbrella of music for a career, studied repair, went uh, went to work for somebody else doing band instrument repair, and then opened my own company in Santa Barbara back in the mid-'80s grew that to six stores in Southern California and the largest school music dealer in the state. And fast forward to almost 50 years later, sold the company. And as I said earlier, no kids. What do we do with the money? We're um, very grateful for the wonderful career and being able to give to the communities in Southern California. We did a lot of work down there, but it all started when this music store guy came to Redwood and did a presentation to the kids. And I went home and asked my parents if I could join and take up the cornet. And they said yes. So the path started there. And we look at Del Norte County as one of the most impoverished counties in the state now. Excellent band directors. Kids are good everywhere. We just feel a strong desire, a need, a responsibility to give back to this community where we got our start. With all the school districts that we worked with in Southern California when I owned my business, the poorest school districts have more than we have in Del Norte County. And the disparity of the parity is simply disgusting to me. The kids here deserve the same chances that every other kid does throughout the state. And a performing arts center 
will be of major benefit on multiple levels to the students, parents, and community at large. Our mission statement basically is students first, community second, and for-profit third. So any use of the facility by performing arts students or anyone else in the district could be graduation, could, could be whatever. Those people come first. The community comes second. Repertory Lighthouse Theater, the um, Pacific Music Guild, and then third, last but not least, if there's room left on the calendar, if the Rolling Stones are on tour <laughs> and they need a pickup gig between San Francisco and Portland, we'll consider that. Um, all I want is for kids to have the same opportunity that I had when my parents said yes and I got to join the band back in 1959. You know, I was going to say, that that's a pretty powerful word, right? When you're talking about a kid who who wants to explore for the first time that just the yes, it's available. And Christy, Dan, you guys, how many kids do you run into or have you run into over the course of your career that a parent had to say no because there wasn't an instrument? Or where you've had to say, I don't know, let me see what I can pull off because there wasn't some resource available to the to the student. Well, as far as I'm concerned, um, in my teaching career, if a student didn't couldn't afford or didn't have an instrument, I was out scrounging. I didn't mm -hmm. care. It had to be a band instrument. They would have an instrument in their hand. Right. Yeah, same. Um, you know, we've had moments where I couldn't promise them their first pick, and that was more early on. Um, right. You know, through the donations from that Nick has been doing, and you know, just in constantly finding things, or like there's an eBay thing that I have to have, or I know I'm going to be short on clarinet, so I'll go out and find a couple more. Right. Um, that doesn't happen as often, um, but yeah, it it, it does, and it ha and and it, it's we fix it. Well, and Nick, you know, I think that was while there had been, I think, other other grants of different things, the first really big spotlight grant was that $70,000 of instruments. Yes, and that's that's that was the first to daw, but there will be several more to daws. The, uh, the eventual goal is to make several more donations of 100 instruments at a time. I was in the band room a couple of weeks ago, and Dan was showing me a tuba that he was doing some work on from one of the other schools. And this instrument was 50, 60 years old, and it wasn't a good brand when it was new. And it wasn't anything to inspire a kid to say, wow, I'm proud of this. I'm proud of myself. I have confidence. I want to be in the band. It was like, hmm, right. this is definitely a hand-me-down. Uh, my goal, my wife's goal, our goal is to replace all of these sorts of instruments. A district shouldn't be put in a position, the kids shouldn't be put in a position right. where, although very laudable, the band directors are buying 40-year-old instruments off of eBay and fixing them up themselves. That's, that's not education. So we'll be making more donations. Once we are through with COVID, there's going to be another 100 instruments coming along and probably another 100 after that. And this is all... Um, outreach that my wife and I are doing that is aside from the pledge that we've made to grease the wheels to get us on the way to building a performing arts center. Yeah, right. Well, and you know, and one of the things I think that I get frustrated about is there are the operational budgets of districts, but when all the money starts rolling in, right, when money starts coming in through Title I or Title Three or even some of these other COVID pieces that are out there, 
when they start talking about learning loss mitigation, when they start talking about categorical funds, you can't spend any of these dollars on music. You know, it's like a lot of the legislators don't look at music as an academic support. They don't look at music as a way to engage kids academically. Um, they'll say, yes, our kids need the arts, but the arts are a springboard. Music's a springboard to math and science and history and reading and all of those other things, you know, much the same way that painting and, and theater and, and dance are. But music is very universal. Um, if you guys could lobby for something, and I don't know if, you know, we, we can always pick up the phone and call Senator McGuire or Assemblymember Wood or whatever. But if you could lobby for something, what what sort of funding do we need for music? At the high school level, um, you know, especially trying to travel out of the community, it right. takes money. And oh, big money. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, we're far away from everything. Um, giving uh, students that opportunity to attend that uh, honor band without that that financial hardship. And that's where my booster club helps a lot. But it's it's not, you know, we can't do that for everybody because there's only a finite amount of funds. Um, travel money is a huge one. Understanding that there is already a program for K-4, uh, I'm interested in uh, helping to amp that up a bit. Music makes you smarter, and the more we can get kids playing music at that early age, the better chance we have to improve academic success. As you play music, you do better in the classroom, and the common goal in public education is to bring kids up to reading parity by third grade. If you don't make it by third grade, you're never going to catch it. So I think building this foundation at K-1, 2, 3 is extremely important. That does mean some more kids will go to band. That's a selfish uh, personal interest to see more <laughs> kids in band. But overall, there's a broad ac academic benefit yeah. to... Uh, boosting k4 music and i don't know if that's a selfish issue or if that's more of a philanthropic issue <laughs> so i just want to tie into what nick was saying too uh the music teachers are actually lobbying for another uh, position right now through lcap funding uh, because our k4 music teachers are stretched really thin the more they have to travel the less that are in the classroom and that's just common sense if we can get them at one school site or two school sites instead of three and four mm -hmm. you know that would be um just way beneficial um it was actually incredible before sarah rogers was hired in this district heather clense had seven or eight school sites and she was basically teaching fourth and fifth grade fourth grade at some sites and mostly just fifth grade band and she was in a car half the time because oh, yeah. she had to go to Mountain School and Klamath um, and, and, and uh, Smith River School. And it was just incredible what the amount of distance she had to travel. So Sarah's hire was great, but we're still a little short stabbed to get uh, that music education minute. So everyone has that opportunity to understand and learn and what Nick was saying and tie it all in. Well, and, you know, and that's we always lobby for career and technical education money. The, the, the CTE is the buzzword right now. It would be great if visual and performing arts were the buzzword and we could apply for those same size grants. I mean, every year we're getting anywhere between 300 and half 300,000 and half a million dollars to keep our CTE programs moving forward, which is one of the reasons that we've talked about with the, with the donation Nick made of the repair equipment and the repair facility of tying that into CTE with music because that that could potentially be an ongoing funded program under CTE. Music has been left in the dust. 
And so like Dan a lot was, of programs have been left they're left in the dust. Oh yeah. yeah. But but you know, as you're talking, trying to squeeze out a music teacher through LCAP, that's for that's supplemental and concentration funds for low income foster and um, English learners. And, you know, trying to make that connection to be able to provide these really, I think Nick, what you were saying a minute ago, these foundational services for kids because it does impact their literacy and it impacts their numeracy, their their ability to actually engage academically because it makes so many connections. So we've talked a little bit about the PAC, uh, the, the Performing Arts Center. So I know you and I, Nick, had had a conversation a long time ago. Dan, you you have talked about it. Christy Lynn, you've been engaged in this forever, and I know that's mm-hmm. been a dream of this community. And when yes. I came, I was asked three or four times every time I'd bring it up, people would say, well, hold on, we're going to do it. Um, it's now been six years, and it, I think it's been distilled down to this, in my opinion, this one opportunity that we have. So, Nick, you want to talk a little bit about the pack and – and where you see that going. Well, just a little bit of a review. Uh, When I was in high school in the mid to late 60s, we were doing our performances in the high school gym, and nobody liked doing it back then. 50 years later, and we're doing our performances in the high school gym, and nobody likes it. Uh, Except for this last one, we had to be outside. Even better, right? (laughs) Right. So... (laughs) So it's one thing to be at a basketball game on the edge of your seat watching all that, but uh, being on the edge of your seat for an hour and a half concert in the gym uh, and all the horrible acoustics probably doesn't cut it. Um, Dan Sedgwick uh, grew up in the town that uh, I had my music store in and was in the store every Saturday taking lessons. And in college, he was in the store every summer learning repair. Christy Lynn... Uh, I came to know over the past 15 years, um, well, once Dan came to the high school and became aware of the excellent career career that she had had, that gave me the confidence, gave my wife the confidence that making a major contribution to the county for Performing Arts Center would be worthwhile, that not only did it have a great past, but it also had a great future. So the... Um, Performing Arts Center is just, it's so obvious, it's so needed. Uh, the community needs it so much. Um, I, I can't say any more than that, really. It's, it's, um, well, I, you know, I, I honestly don't know if many people put it together, but the only public gathering place that has individual seats in the entire community is the Crescent Elk Auditorium. That's right. Which was built in, what, 1929 or something like that? I believe so. Yeah, so, um, so the largest performing arts facility in an entire county is a middle school uh, with a, an auditorium that was old when I was performing on it a half a century ago. Right. We're doing some refurbishment to it now, but uh, the county deserves more than that. The kids deserve more than that. That's right. Well, because that's really not a performing arts center. I mean, it it was an auditorium. It was set up as an auditorium the way people saw it at that point in time. And things have shifted. We, the technologies have changed so much. And um, we did have an architect firm who kind of dummied up. I mean, it's definitely not a plan. It's not an architectural drawing. But a performing art center looks and feels and is designed to produce such a different environment, such a different uh, ambiance 
to really dive into whatever that performance is. Better experience for the students, yep. better experience for the audience, uh, a wonderful confidence builder, uh, iconic for the community. Whether we look at it from the, the vantage point of the student or the parent or the educator or the community, uh, it's a win-win-win all the way around. And we're yep. looking at a a pack, a performing arts center that holds plus or minus 800 people. Right. And uh, state-of-the-art lighting and seating and and sound, all of that all stuff. Of Acoustics. Uh, adjacent to the band room at the high school so that when the high school has a performance, they don't have to get a truck and move timpani and marimbas and things like that. I've done the, that three times in my career to Crescent Elk. It was never fun. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. And, and considering that the high school band no longer, for, for many, many years, does not fit on the, on the stage on the at stage, Crescent right. Elk. Yep. So the largest venue in the county for pr public performance isn't an option for the high school band, and that's, that's not right. And so. it also, the, um, uh, um, the Performing Arts Center would also um, elevate... Uh, opportunities for the dance throughout this this yep. whole the county. Right. Um, the drama class at right. the high school is another one. Um, I mean, we can. Well, but but even the the beauty of it, and I've even had this thought. Depending on how it's structured, when you walk in, you're going to have a foyer, right? Yep. So yes. when people are walking in, what a better way to even highlight the Art. the visual arts that our kids are doing? That's right. Right. Painting, drawing, sculpting, mm -hmm. all of those pieces. And then if we if we really take it to the next level, then we bring in our welding shop and, and our, our construction and all those other folks. And then we start connecting those trades to the arts as well mm -hmm. with sculpture gardens and some different things that we could bring out. And I think the, the Performing Arts Center becomes the hub of all of that and everything spokes out from there. What what a what a huge I think um, not, benefit isn't even strong enough word uh, for this community to have something like that, and it's been decades decades of wishing and dreaming and hoping, and Nick I I just have to applaud you and thank you again for. Um, you know, stoking the fires to kind of get the engine rolling again. We are happy and humbled and yes. overflowing with gratitude at the opportunity to be able to do this. And uh, we look at the whole community, we look at, look at the excitement of Front Street and right. having that open up and how excited everybody is about that. Now, now we want to anchor the other end of town with a performing arts center and give the community some civic pride that it hasn't had in decades. Uh, along with all the other benefits that we've talked about. So we, we are um, very grateful to be in a position after selling our business in Southern California to be able to give back to the commu community in this fashion. My wife and I moved up here uh, this past January, and we have one thing on our bucket list, one thing only, and that's to build a performing arts center on the high school campus. Yes. Well, so let's think about that. So we talked about the past. You said there's a very bright future. In five to 10 years, if you guys looked at our performing arts, what would you hope to see in this community um, five years from today? Musicals. Yeah. 
musicals. You just don't see musicals because yeah. the facility d- can't sustain it. Crescent right. Elk just can't. Yeah, pulling all the arts together for that one unified goal, the musical. And, and, and it, you know, be in a combination between Lighthouse Repertory Theater and the high school drama classes and, you know, music and, and, and dance and everything together. I think that'd oh be a gr- that'd be a great opening act, and the quality of all of these groups goes right through the ceiling. Well, and I also because, think, and and Nick mm-hmm. alluded to this, you know, having a performing arts center is just going to make everyone sing. They're going to be so excited to be in a state of the art yes. performing center when they only get to see it when they travel. Right. You know, and, and so many kids don't get to see it. And, uh, you know, the Humboldt schools are very in the similar places. Not every high school down there has an auditorium that's like that. Eureka High School has one. How old is that one? It's pretty same pretty age. Dated. As, yeah. Um, 20s, 1910. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a little bit bigger than Crescent Elks. And I think Arcadia McKinleyville has a relatively new one. Right? Uh, yes, but it's very small. Right. It's very small. Right. I think they only hold like 200 seats. Yes, very, very small. Yeah. So um, I, I've had the opportunity uh, to take uh, students to the San Mateo Performing Arts Center, which is on the, their high school campus. And that one was built, I believe, like 20 years ago. Right. Still fabulous facility. Um, and, and the kids are blown away when they get to perform somewhere like that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the things that we did as a group um, was that we made a trip over to Grants Pass mm-hmm. and we saw what it could ours could look like. It is there. It's fabulous. You walk in there and it, it just make your creativity inside. You just comes alive. They have a band room, a choir room, a drama room, a dance room, and they're all right around the performing arts it's center. A, it's the same building. It's the yeah. same building. Now, we couldn't do that here per se, but it, just the excitement and you would, they let us go into each one of these classrooms and the, and the excitement level you can see. You know, the kids weren't even there. Right. And then we got to go on to their stage. Oh, oh my gosh. Right. Lee, Lee Howe uh, was a year ahead of me in school. And when we Redwood started band in 1959, he was in fifth grade. I was in fourth. Uh, Lee remains a best friend to this day. And that shows you the value of music. Uh, one of the many things it can do for you. I'm not sure I remember my fourth grade history teacher or my fifth grade <laughs> civics teacher, but I can recite all the band directors I've had in my life. And Lee has been, a, is, has and is a major a contributor to what we're trying to do um, with building a performing arts center on the high school campus. And, and Lee arranged this trip to the Grants Pass Performing Arts Center. The... Another another value of a performing arts center that elementary school students can go to, that Crescent Elk students can go to, is it builds a better bridge between the elementaries and the junior oh, high and the high school. Yeah. When I was out at Redwood, which was K through eight, the thought of going to high school was terrifying. It was in another town, basically, and the kids were big and I was small and I went in as a freshman. It was, wow, I'm scared. You know, what's going on here? But if there had been a performing arts center there and I'd been going there on a regular basis, I would have felt welcomed and it would have been beckoning to me right. versus having been this uh, scary world that I had to enter into until I got nestled in uh, with the with the band program. Well, so, you know, we're, it's amazing how fast the time goes. Typically our podcasts are only 20 minutes long. We're already over 30 minutes today. 
Um, but you know, just, just to kind of give everybody a taste of this, that performing arts center is, I think COVID kind of put us on hold a little bit. Um, it's something that we've heard you, Nick say you and Lisa, it is near and dear and center to, to your goals in the very near future. Um, and the, the forward progress has only begun. We need to just like so many things after COVID, it's going to have to really get ramped up again in our community. But we want to let our community know this is a big dream. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a big dream. It's a big objective. A dream is something we can only hope for. Maybe an objective is something we can work for and achieve. This objective is going to cost us somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to $20 million maybe a little bit more depending on the bells and whistles that Dan keeps adding to it. But that's beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we just want our community to know too, that one of our big goals is that we talked about the generosity of our music parents. We talked about the generosity of our community. We've talked about the generosity of a lot of people that have just kept things moving forward. Our goal is to raise as much of this money from outside of our community as we can. We want it to be a benefit. We don't want it to be a burden. And we want this to be a crown jewel of Northern California. Absolutely. For sure. So, and, I really, oh, and, go ahead, Nick. And a very big thanks to Gina Zatola and her team at Wild Rivers uh, Community Foundation. They have just been wonderful partners. They are the, the, the fiscal pass-through for the funds that Lisa and I give to the district. We have also... Recently retained Angela Glore to work on the project of the PAC to help us form a strategic team, an advisory council, a project manager, and we are in negotiation with a similar person in Southern California who's a little bit more global in his approach. Angela is boots on the ground, and we're excited about bringing these additional people to the team so that we can. TikTok, TikTok. I'm 70 years old. I got to get this done. (laughs) (laughs) I I think one of our first conversations was, I think we can do this in in just a few years if we really get the funding and get it off the ground. So um, again, thank all three of you for for joining me today. Uh, I appreciate the conversation and we look forward to to doing this again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thank you. It's been an honor.